Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome, everyone, to a very special edition of the My Nights Are Booked podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock, and today I am going to be celebrating the memory of the legendary Anne Rice. Anne Rice passed away this past Saturday at the age of 80 after suffering a stroke and uh, complications from that stroke. Her son, Christopher Rice, had passed the message along on social media saying that his mother had passed away and uh, it immediately triggered a storm of of a flood really of, of fans from all over the world celebrating Anne Rice's legacy and her um, indelible mark on literature but also you know a mark that she made in people's lives and um, you know I've, I've always said that one of my biggest influences was Anne Rice. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I was so shocked and saddened by her passing and I just wanted to, um, you know, to really, to have an outlet to, to talk about my memories, uh, about Anne Rice. And, you know, one of the things that I think makes her passing, um, you know, very poignant and, you know, if if you had to say that that she went out uh, and left this world the way that you know that that only Anne Rice would, it was 19 years almost to the day after the passing of her husband, the poet Stan Rice, the poet and um, an artist. Um, you know, and I remember when Stan Rice passed away, and you know how his death impacted her, and um, you know she never you know, you never get over losing somebody, but his death really hit her hard. And, you know, they had suffered a great loss as a couple when they lost their daughter. And, um, you know, that was, that was the basis. That's what, that, that thrust her into writing Interview with a Vampire in the 1970s. So, you know, her life had been kind of tied to these, these events and, you know, losing people in her life. And that's, uh, in a way, you know, that she returned to her husband, you know, almost on the anniversary of, of his passing. It's just, it, it makes, you know, it doesn't make it easier, but it's, it's a very special thing to think of. And, um, you know, obviously my heart goes out to Christopher and, and their family for suffering this loss. Um, I had the, the very good fortune of meeting Anne Rice at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I waited in line to get her autograph and, you know, I'd always wanted to visit New Orleans and, and attend one of the vampire balls. I never got to, but, uh, you know, meeting her in person was, was something very special. And, uh, a couple of years after that, I had the good fortune of being able to interview Christopher Rice about the, the novel that he wrote with his mother, the, 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 follow-up to The Mummy. And uh, it was Cleopatra's story. And it was just, it was such a a phenomenal thing because 
I was able to, you know, we were having, we had such a, an amazing conversation that afternoon. And, you know, I, I said, you know, it, what really was so striking to me because Christopher Rice is an incredible author himself. And I noticed, you know, in this collaboration with his mother that you could really see their personalities coming out in in this lang you know in the, the language of the book and one thing that was so striking and that was particularly striking to me was that he has a way of capturing female voices and female perspective so uniquely even though he's male and his mother has always been able to capture the male voice you know when you think about Louis and Lestat and all of the characters that she created, the male characters stand out so much more because she just, she had this way of capturing their, their, their thoughts and their actions. And you could see that playing out in this book. And I was, you know, I, I was so intrigued by it. And so we had this entire conversation about it and it just, it's something that, you know, as someone who enjoys writing herself, I, I really appreciated that they had these unique styles and that you could see this, um, you know, the, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up with your mother being Anne Rice. And, um, you know, she's, she's been a part of my life for a very long time. And, um, you know, her books really changed the trajectory of my life forever. And, you know, that's something that, that I wanted to talk about in this podcast. Um, it's also worth noting, she passed away on the 11th of December and the 12th of December this past uh, Sunday was the one year anniversary of losing my mom. And so it was an incredible, uh, incredible experience to, you know, to have that, that anniversary come up and then to lose someone who's been such an important figure in my life. It was, it was weird. And, um, you know, looking back, you know, as, as I reflect on Anne Rice and her amazing work, you know, it, it really was, you know, for me, it was the movie interview with a vampire that, that did it. That was, that was what lit the fire. And I never would have seen the movie if not for my best friend who brought me to the movie. And, um, you know, we were 14 at the time and, uh, it came out in 1994 and we saw it in December. And in fact, we saw it about, uh, we saw it in December of 1994. So it's, it's an anniversary in and of itself right now that, you know, I'm, I'm recording this podcast in December after her passing. And, and, you know, so that, that in itself is an anniversary, but I had no idea what this movie was about. And I had, uh, I didn't know that much at the time. I mean, I was 14, but I wasn't really into, um, you know, movies. I, I've never been uh, a member of the, the cult of the celebrity. And I think that kind of, I think if you follow my work, you kind of know that. Like, I'm not someone who gets starstruck very often. Um, you know, so so my best friend had, you know, we had, we had already seen every Brad Pitt movie there was. I mean, she had... Thelma and Louise on, you know, constantly. And we'd watched Top Gun and like, she was very into, into Brad Pitt more than Tom Cruise. Um, you know, Christian Slater, obviously. And then we, we met Antonio Banderas in this movie. And, um, you know, so I didn't, I didn't know what to expect going into it. And, um, you know, from the very opening moments when you have 
Brad Pitt as Louie saying, you know, so you want me to tell you the story of my life. And that leads into this, this adventure that spans centuries about these, you know, these, these vampires in this world that, that humans have no idea exists. And I was just utterly captivated on a, I, <laughs> I have to admit that, um, when Tom Cruise's character is killed in the middle of the movie, I threatened to leave because I was so captivated by, by Lestat and his, um, just larger than life persona. And my, my best friend who had seen the movie already, this was her second or third viewing. Um, she assured me that he came back. And so I was able to sit through the movie and, um, it wasn't until later, I think it was around Christmas time that we were up in the mountains. My family was up in the mountains and, and, you know, I was, I was a voracious reader, always, always have been. And, um, so usually I traveled with a couple of paperbacks and they were usually Star Trek novels. I will, I will tell you that much. Um, usually a Star Trek novel, but, uh, in the spinner at this little market in the middle of nowhere on our way to the mountains, there was a copy of Interview with a Vampire. And since I loved the movie so much, I thought, well, why not? I'm going to, going to read the book. So I bought the book. And for the duration of my trip, that's what I, I read. And I just fell into this book and I don't think I ever emerged from it. I was just completely captivated. And, um, so let's see, I would have been a freshman in high school at that point. And, uh, as, as soon as I had read that book, I picked up the rest of them. And, and at that point, uh, there was the vampire Lestat, there was the queen of the damned. And there was tale of the body thief. Memnoch the devil wouldn't come out until 1995, I believe. And, um, so I just, I read everything I possibly could and I was captivated. And the thing, you know, it's interesting because night, the, the mid 1990s were an interesting time for high school students because you had different, you know, you always have different groups, you know, that, that's high school. You have your jocks and your, your theater people. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of cliques. And I was the kind of person who kind of went in between all of them. I never really had one group that I stuck to. And that was kind of my own, uh, that was my preference. I didn't like being cornered into any one group, but some of my friends were what you would consider to be goths. And, um, you know, I, I definitely didn't understand everything that they were doing, but they were my friends. And so, you know, so I, I, had this, this bond with them because they were huge Anne Rice fans. And so that was something that kind of brought us together. And, um, you know, so, but one of the things, you know, while they were out, uh, <laughs> LARPing live action role-playing was a big thing at my high school, uh, for certain groups of people. And so they were, even though we were, you know, 14, 15 years old, they were out live action role-playing vampire. Uh, what's, what's it called? Vampire? The something, something, but it was a vampire role-playing game and they were really into it. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me understand what they were doing. Vampire the Masquerade, that's what it was. And they were out, I mean, they would go out every weekend and play this game. And, and for me, more than anything, I mean, obviously, you know, Tom Cruise and, and Brad Pitt were very nice to look at. And, you know, this, this allure of the vampire was so fascinating to me. But the thing that really struck me, and, and this, this is very quintessential Sarabeth. If you've ever wondered who I am, I am a nerd through and through. I love 
learning. I could be a student, a, a perennial student. I don't want to be a teacher. Never wanted to be a professor. And that that just I, I worked in academia for too long to know that being a professor was never my calling. But if I could be a professional student, by God, that would be a dream. But uh, when I was in sixth grade, we uh, our school did this this project where each classroom had a time period that they studied. And then we had a big kind of like a open house where people, you know, parents would come and, and go class to class and learn about things. And our classroom was assigned the Italian Renaissance. So 11 year old me was just absolutely fascinated by the Renaissance and I couldn't get enough of it. And when I was in junior high school, um, I had actually, uh, I, from junior high to high school, I was in a bilingual immersion program. So all of our classes were taught in Spanish. And so I learned world history, ancient history, you know, Renaissance history, all of that. It was all taught in Spanish, El Renacimiento. And it was so fascinating to me because suddenly you had characters that, you know, as I was reading Anne Rice's books, it struck me that you could use a vampire as a vehicle to tell a story that spans centuries, decades, millennia, any time period you wanted. And I was, I became obsessed with one character in particular, and that was the character of Marius because he was a, a Roman who became a vampire in, in Roman times and lived through all of this human history. And, you know, his big stories were, you know, obviously in the Roman times, but then also during the Renaissance. And then he's a modern man as well. And so you could have his reflections looking back on all of these time periods. And I thought, wow, what an incredible way. Because I always love telling stories. And I, I thought this this is such a great vehicle to tell a story. And so really my connection with with vampires started because I was so fascinated by this vehicle to tell stories. And Anne Rice was certainly unparalleled in her ability to tell stories about vampires and, you know, kind of supernatural things, but her stories were so well-researched and so detailed that you felt like you were there. And to have somebody who grew up in Roman times comment on what life was like in the Renaissance and then talk about modern times and, and to see that juxtaposition of all of those things, to me, it just, it was fascinating. And so, her books from a very, as soon as I read those books, I knew, I, I knew that, that I was, I was very interested in this, this method of storytelling, but I also knew that, that it inspired me to learn as much as I could, because I wanted to be able to tell stories like that also. And so, um, you know, Anne Rice, I, I will credit Anne Rice forever for making me um, you know, I, I, I was in the Spanish immersion program. And, uh, and when I was in, I, when I went to high school, I started taking French as an elective, which was unheard of, um, at my high school. Cause nobody wanted to take, I mean, who wants to take an extra language? That's weird. But I, I wanted to, I, I would have taken other languages had they been offered. And, um, you know, when I was in, in college, I ended up taking Sanskrit and, and I dabbled a little bit in Greek and Latin. And, and I just, I really wanted to have a strong foundation, um, like Celtic mythology. I took a Celtic mythology class because it just, it was just, I, I just started seeing all of these parallels and I could not get enough of it. And Latin American history became something that was very, very, uh, something that I just became fascinated with and, and learning about the different cultures and, and 
oh, I can get into, I can get into it. But the, the, the fact is, it was because of those books that made me want to learn as much as I possibly could. And so I will always credit her with, with that. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that when I got into the, uh, into the lives of the Mayfair, which is that was in 10th grade and, um, a very interesting story. So San Diego Unified Teachers went on strike for a week in uh, when I was in 10th grade. And my mom, who, you know, thought, you know, she was like, yeah, screw the page. I mean, my mom would have could have cared less if I went to school or not. I mean, she was the type who was like, let's, you know, it's a beautiful day. Let's go do something fun. Don't go to school. And me being the the perennial, perennial nerd, just, you know, I loved school. And of course I wouldn't ditch school for, you know, for that little did I know later until later how ridiculous school was. But at the time, you know, I thought that was what I needed to do. And so, so my sister, she said, you know, my sister's not going to go to school and you're more than welcome to not go to school. You don't have to go to school during the strike. You can just, you know, come and pick it with us and we're going to go support the teachers. And I thought, no, 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 I'm going to go to school because it's much more interesting inside the school because what they did, and this is peak, peak 1995, mind you, they actually had volunteers come in from the community to babysit the classrooms. And so there was no vetting of these people. They were, there was one guy, one guy's parent came in, his dad came in, kid you not dressed like Arthur Fonzarelli or the dude from Greece. Like he looked like he could be straight out of Greece with his leather jacket and his hair slicked back. And he had the biggest attitude you could possibly imagine. And he like, he was trying to get this chip off his shoulder. You could tell that he probably had his lunch money stolen from him in college or in high school. And he wanted to go back and, and, and avenge the, the wrongs. So he was just wandering around the halls, just watching everybody. And it was just, it was so funny. So the entire time that my teachers were on strike, it was, it was utter chaos. And, um, I loved the chaos. Now I am, the least likely person to get in trouble for anything. I am very much fearful of, of being in trouble. I, I was never in trouble in school, except for that one time, but it actually wasn't my fault. Total, total story behind this. But the, uh, the allure of being able to watch what was going on behind the scenes was just too much to pass up. I mean, there was, there was one of our classes was, uh, our history class, everybody took the desks out, put them outside. We had a, a flag football game inside the classroom. Um, in PE, we sat in the gym and someone found the shuttlecocks from badminton and thus commenced a competition to see how many shuttlecocks we could get lodged in the rafters in one class period, which unfortunately ended up biting us in the butt later on because there were no shuttlecocks to play badminton with after the strike was over because they were all up in the rafters and there was no way to get them down. But, uh, yeah, there were, I mean, it was, it was utter chaos and, um, okay. One, one little digression, but someone stole a bunch of hall passes from one of the desks and they were distributing these hall passes. And so someone handed me a bunch of them and me being me saw the, the value of these hall passes. So I went out to the picket line and, you know, cause you couldn't control, there was no control. So it was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom now and you would just walk out of your classroom because nobody cared. I don't even remember if there was an adult in the room at the time. And I did, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I, I left and 
walked out to the picket line and and uh, found my my English teacher. And he was just, oh my God, it, 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 he was so into this strike that it was, uh, he was my English teacher from ninth grade. And he was just like, you know, screw the system, screw the system. It was like, hey, could you do me a favor? They're, they're distributing these hall passes upstairs. Would you sign a couple of these? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to, we're going to get them. Well, he signed a bunch of hall passes for me, but didn't think about the fact that I would never actually use the hall passes during the strike. Of course, I was going to hang on to these for later. So I ended up with a whole collection of signed, legitimate, totally legitimate hall passes that I could use for the duration of my time as a hall, as a, a high school student. It was very helpful. But anyway, total digression. That was just the chaos that was going around. The first two days, it was it was fun to observe the chaos. But by the third day, and this went on for over a week, by the th third day, I knew I had to find something to do because I just, I couldn't sit there anymore. And it was just, it was getting out of control. So I brought the lives of the Mayfair witches with me. And that's where I read them. I read the books instead of, you know, there was no school. So I sat at school during the strike with all of the chaos around me, reading the lives of the Mayfair witches. And it was the best time I could possibly imagine. And to be honest, I think I actually learned a little bit more than I would have if class had been in session because I learned so much about, you know, the history of New Orleans and all of these different families. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was so wonderful to be able to have that time. And, um, you know, so looking back, that was, you know, those, those few years in high school were the ones that really cemented me as an Anne Rice fan. And then later on, you know, obviously I read everything over the years, I read everything I could and as new books would come out, I would read those. And, you know, it, I look back and I think, you know, there really weren't books like that at the time where you, you felt like you were getting a history lesson when you read one of Anne Rice's books. They were so well-researched and so detailed and thorough. And it, they just transported you to a new, a new place every time you read one. And each character... You know, especially as as characters were rooted in different time periods, you could see how their time period affected their decisions in the present day, and it and it was just it was fascinating to me. So, you know, her work really opened my eyes to so many things. You know, and, and later on in college, you know, I I actually added a history major. I didn't need a history major, and, and I already had a major, but added a history major because I just, I wanted to study as much history as I possibly could because I, I felt like this was the path to becoming a writer, that you had to have this history background and, and that, you know, that vampires were the way to tell the stories. And so it's funny when I look at the books that I, I gravitate towards now, and I think about all of the books, um, you know, I think about Deborah Harkness, for example, and, and the All Souls trilogy. I think about uh, SR's Gabriel's Inferno and uh, the Gabriel series, but also the Florentine series. And, you know, where there is a very, very um, alluring vampire hero in that story, too. And uh, there's, a, there's actually, there's a connection between the Deborah Harkness's books and Anne Rice. There's there's kind of a nod in there to to those kids to their characters to Anne Rice's characters in the books. Um, 
you know, I, I look at the books that I, that I gravitate towards and I love the books that are so well-researched and so thorough and so in-depth and so, um, you know, they, it's more than just a story. It's, it's, it transports you and brings you into this world. And it's not just the world of the present. It's the world of the past and the past comes to life in these stories. And, you know, I don't know that we would have those stories if not for someone like Anne Rice. And it's, it's, you know, when I, when I look at those, when I look at her works and I think about how much I, I think of the comments that people are making after, you know, after the news of her passing and so many people had these similarly transformative experiences, you know, more often than not, these books saved people's lives because they could see in themselves, they could see their themselves in these characters. And, you know, for me, you know, being a, a teenager at the time of reading them, I connected in a way that I needed to connect for other people. They were seeing things, you know, they were, they were learning about their own sexuality or learning about, um, you know, their, their history and their past and, and, and finding that they could, they could understand themselves better because of Anne Rice and her work. And, you know, I, I, I will be perfectly honest. And, and I think this is, this is an important thing, but like, I didn't really, it didn't occur to me that the character of Lestat was bisexual until, God, years after I read Interview with a Vampire and, and the vampire Lestat, where, you know, he has a relationship with, uh, with Nicholas. And I, I didn't pick up that there was that relationship with Louis either. And I was just reading about these two men that had this bond. And it didn't, in that way, you know, like when you, when you hear people say like, you know, you don't, you don't see things like it just felt so natural that I didn't have to define it. I didn't have to have a definition of what this was. It was just, it just existed. It simply was, that was all I needed. It wasn't until I read uh, one of the, one of the books and I, it escapes me the, the details escape me, but there's, there's a, a scene in one of the, the Mayfair witch stories where two women are having an intimate moment and I will, I kid you not, I was, I was 15 years old and I'm reading this book thinking, well, yeah, like, I, I guess that would, that would be a thing. Like I never, I never thought about it like that. And it opened my mind to all of these possibilities and, and the possibilities of, of different kinds of relationships and different situations and things that I, you know, I, I hadn't experienced personally and I didn't have much experience with, but it, it made it feel so natural that it wasn't abrasive or jarring or you know you didn't go ew or you didn't go oh my god it was just it, it just simply was and it was okay and you didn't have to have any you know it didn't matter and and I think you know I mean that's it's it's you know in a weird way like I want to say that that's the world we should aspire to because it shouldn't matter you shouldn't look and say like oh you know you there's no reason to judge anything it should just simply be and that's a, that's enough. You don't have to have anything more than that. And so for me, I look at, I look at all of this and I think, you know, Anne Rice did that. That was Anne Rice giving us this world where all of those things are okay. It's all possible. It's all okay. And you don't have to worry about being judged. Just be who you are. And that's, that's all that matters. And, you know, you can find the courage and find the conviction to do, to live your life authentically. And that's what you should do. And 
it's just, it's so powerful. And, and so when I, when I read all of the comments on social media about how many people she impacted in, you know, through her work and through her life, it just, I mean, what an incredible testament to her legacy and to who she is as a person and, you know, the, the, the body of work that she leaves behind and that will, you know, continue to be taken up by her son and, um, you know, certainly the stories are coming to life on AMC. They just optioned the books, um, you know, all of her work and AMC just greenlit Lives of the Mayfair Witches and they'd, uh, they're in production on uh, Interview with a Vampire. And that's all of these stories are coming to life in a way that they were never brought to life before. And it's it's tragic to think that that Anne won't be here to see that. But she lives on because of it. And it's just, it's, it's so powerful. And, um, you know, I, I, this, thank you. If you've, if you've made it to the end of this, thank you for listening. This is, it's, it's so powerful and just so important for me to, to express how much Anne Rice means to me, you know, personally and professionally. And, you know, that the, like the impact that she made on my life and, and it, it brings me great solace knowing that, that, you know, she impacted so many people's lives and that we can all come together and celebrate her and for what she did and for, for what she's done for literature and, uh, LGBTQ rights and, um, you know, just the, the legacy that she lives behind is just, it's so powerful. So, um, yeah, I, I don't even really know how to end this one because it's I it's I don't want to say goodbye to Anne Rice. It's more of a until later, I suppose. So thank you so much to everyone who's listened, and I would love to hear how Anne Rice uh, impacted your life. And uh, so please feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Sarah Beth Pollock or leave a comment on the the podcast. And um, you know, feel free to share your memories of Anne Rice and. Um, let us all just celebrate this wonderful person and her incredible legacy. So from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you so much to Anne Rice for everything she's done for me personally and for the world at large, and she will be missed, but her legacy will live on. Thank you so much, everybody.